Hello there friends, and welcome back to The Longest Night, which is a little show about the HBO series Game of Thrones. My name is Rob. My name is Livy. And together we are making our way through all 73 episodes of Game of Thrones. Me for what feels like the 100th time, and Lizzie for the very first time. You can find us on Twitter, we are at LongestNightGOT, that is at LongestNightGOT, if you want to come and carry on the conversation over there. And I'm one of the moderators on the r slash narth subreddit, so you can come along and say hello to us as well, uh, if you like. Music that brought us in today was All My Favourite Songs by uh, Weezer. They have a new album out on the 29th of January, which was the day that this episode goes out. Um, You can find it by Googling it. They're quite a large band, and I don't think they need me having links in the description or anything like that. I'm pretty sure you could find Um, it if you Google it. I'm sure they'll go far. Yeah, I I think so too. I I think they'll be just fine. Um, Yeah. But their new, new album's entitled OK Human, uh, it's a little bit of a play on Radiohead's OK Computer. It's very different to their usual sound, but hey, it's out on January 29th. Go find it if you want. Um, aside from Weezer, Lizzie, how have you been this week? How have you been? I mean, yeah, I've I've been mostly good, although we'll get into it. This episode left me feeling very queasy. Yes. Which has, has not happened up to this point. I'm, in fact, I'm pretty sure I messaged you at the end of the episode, like, oh, God, I, I, I don't think anything I've seen up to this point has made me feel quite a sense of ugh, not good. I felt I felt carsick after this episode. Like nauseous dread. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. <laughs> well, if there are many feelings that Game of Thrones conjures up in people, and if nauseous dread is one, then the spectrum of feelings that it makes people feel is uh, only getting larger. Only yeah, getting larger. Sure. Um, all sure. right, we'll uh, we'll get onto that then. All uh, right, yeah. This week we are going to be discussing season two, episode four of Game of Thrones, which is entitled "Garden of Bones." It was written by Vanessa Taylor, who's making a first of two appearances on the show, and it was directed by David Petrarca, who's making the first of his two appearances in the director's chair on the show. It was first broadcast on April 22nd, 2012, to an audience of 3.65 million people. So, Lizzie, Garden of Bones, putting aside the uh, nauseous dread for a moment, how, how do you feel about the episode generally? It's a very good episode, I should say that I didn't I didn't dislike the episode at all. It's just that I I've started to try and watch these twice, you know, once just watching it through and the second time trying to make some notes. But this one mm-hmm. I I couldn't get through it a second time. I had to I had to give up once we got to sort of halfway around the, the Harrenhal pick just because it was so It's very grim, isn't it? It is. It is I'd say it's easily the grimmest episode we've had so far by a long margin. Yeah, I think that a lot of the... Because I was thinking when you said that it made you feel a bit queasy at the end of the... uh, You know, after you'd finished watching it, I thought, yeah, makes sense. Melisandre giving birth to, like, a shadow demon. That totally makes sense why that would feel queasy. But then I'd Mm. forgotten about all of the really horrible stuff in the episode, like a guy getting his leg sawn off yeah, uh, the yeah. torture methods of the Lannister soldiers, 
the yep. the rat in the bucket, the the head. Joffrey being, being a sadist to the sex. Joffrey workers. being a sadist. The head being mashed onto that spike at Harren oh, Hall. Like, it's yeah. very, very grim and bloody and muddy and horrible. Mm. And then um, even Hot Pie, um, like, urinating all over himself in panic. And the guy screaming until he dies and the woman not yeah. really having any kind of response to it because she's so numb to all the violence and all of the dread and all of the misery. And yeah, no, I totally agree that this is a properly miserable episode. Like, this is just dark, I think. Yeah, I mean, for sure. As far as I'm concerned, this show gets darker. There are darker episodes than this later on, but this is a heavy, heavy blow to mm. withstand. I think that outside of that, though, I don't know about... Maybe it's just something that I've only really come to in later rewatches, but I find that this episode is kind of strangely meta because um, this episode is one of the first episodes to feature major scenes and major storylines that aren't just not in the book, but are just completely original for the show. Um, and it it's like this little clash between the books and the show, and that's represented almost by all the culture clashes that are going on around the map. Like uh, Rob meeting Talisa for the first time, Daenerys meeting the Thirteen, Arya and Tywin are about to be spending a bit of time together. And there's just these brand new, complete shocks to the system for people. Like Rob meeting Talisa is a a huge, a huge, <laughs> sort of like a huge shock to his value system. And that yeah, she's a yeah. nurse around the battlefield and he's causing a lot of the misery that she's having to mop up. And Daenerys meeting the Thirteen and not quite knowing how to negotiate with them and... So, yeah, I think that it's a strange... And obviously Littlefinger acting very, very um, unlike himself in front of Catelyn in this episode. Um, so lots Definitely. of sudden changes, lots of very lots of new again. I think it suffers a little bit from just kind of being a mid-season episode and getting a bit like... Sort of, sort of encouraging the question, like, where are we going? But I love sitting around in this world and with these characters, so that's not really... And obviously, I know where this is going, and I know that it all leads somewhere, so that's not a huge issue for me, but... Um, no, it's it's what, all right for you, then, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, but what about <laughs> um, what about you generally? Say you really like this episode. What feelings were you taking from it? What, what bits did you enjoy the most? I don't know about enjoy. That's maybe stretching mm-hmm. it a little bit, but there's some definite developments that have come out of this like I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens with um, Arya and Tywin Lannister um, also loved Tyrion in this episode he's very you know very good at just sort of rebuffing Joffrey and also um, Lancel later in the episode <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's a really good episode. And also, we see more of Daenerys this week. I, I think we had a complaint a couple of weeks ago that it did just feel like, yep, she's uh, still in the desert. She's still hanging on in there. But it felt like this week we had, um, you know, some sort of progression on that. Although, at this point, we don't quite know where that's going. It seems like a positive step, but it could be that She's maybe being used because the 13 know that they can possibly take advantage of what she has. If you do not let us in, all of us will die. Which we shall deeply regret. But Karth did not become the greatest city that ever was or will be by letting Dothraki savages through its gates. We get to 
Karth at last. It's a nice little yep. transition point. We get to Karth at last this week after wandering around the Red Waste for a while. Daenerys' band of followers are presented with a little bit of hope. Uh, finally, one of their riders returns to say that a city known as Karth is just three days away. Um, Daenerys then meets with the Thirteen. They're sort of like the governing body of Karth outside the city's wall. They have a tense conversation during which Daenerys threatens to burn the city down should they turn her away. But this guy steps forward called Zaro Zoandoxos and he swoops in to invoke Sumai. I don't really know what that means. And grant them passage into the city. So what notes have you taken from the Red Waste slash Karth? This, well, from what I, can, what I can assume, you said you didn't quite know what that means. I take it as like sort of an executive order, as in you get, you know, each of the 13 gets one chance to overrule the rest of them. And it's it's absolute. Once that's done, that's done. You don't get another chance. Yes, I uh, I think I, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I think that that's kind of the idea that he gets to vouch for Daenerys and he's, she's his, his responsibility now and anything that happens in Karth to do with Daenerys is his responsibility and or on his head be it. Which is sort of um, what the Spice King or the Trader of Spices says where he says um, on your head be it or on it be your head or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, it's just, I mean, that's quite a grim scene as well, come to think of it. Just the idea of him slicing his own hand and... Yeah, I mean, not even that. Just the thought of this, you know, the 13 who are so willing to turn people away and send them to their deaths. As as Jorah says at the beginning of the scene, each time someone is denied entry into the city, the Garden of Bones grows, you know, into a higher number. It's... It's it's brutal. It's and it does sort of cross your mind that they could quite easily be turned away because she doesn't show the dragons and for for a minute there it's looking like they could be turned away. They've got nothing to offer because as much as you say you have dragons, if you can't see them, it's understandable that they might say, Well, no, we we have no collateral, you know? I think it's really funny the de- the decision not to show the dragons because it feels like it's the show speaking to the audience where it's like we don't really have the money to do this every week. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, get your dragons out. Yeah. We we yeah. can't. We don't have the money. <laughs> no, no. Um I to be honest, the most interesting part of the scene for me um is just the bit where Daenerys gets a bit of fire in the belly and just decides to threaten them so that they open the gates. Um, What did you make of that? Because Daenerys is, as far as I'm concerned, Daenerys is a very different person now to who she was before Khal Drogo died, where now that she's a leader, she is starting to do and say things that I don't think she would have had the confidence to say in the first season. Now she has dragons as well, and she's been bought, she's lived through fire and being burnt alive, and she feels... She has a, even though she's been been in a very desperate situation, she now has something to use as a bargaining chip, which is just that if anybody rejects her or turns her away or puts her in danger, she she does have three fire breathing lizards to turn on people. Yeah, is it, which is true, but she's still 
not in much of a position of strength because obviously the dragons are tiny. They can't really do much at the minute and it's it's quite conceivable to think that someone could take advantage of that and just dismiss the Kalazar and take the dragons. Mm-hmm. It's like, does the dragons know they're supposed to be faithful to Daenerys? It, it's... We don't know much about the dragons to be able to say that they are absolutely faithful to, you know, their their birth mother. Yes, uh, mother. I think is is probably the correct term. She, um, yeah, you know, I think she has referred to them or will refer to them as her children. It's just, to be honest, what strikes me is that obviously me coming to this as someone who's seen the whole show, I am just so surprised that it's taken four episodes for Daenerys to get from A to B. I feel like in a later season, this would have taken like two episodes max. We would have had one scene of them like hanging around the desert, sort of like not knowing where to go. And then in the next scene they would have had somebody arrive back and say, I found a city, or they would have just kept walking or something like that. They would have been more efficient than they've been maybe so far. But she's definitely not the focus of the show at the minute. Would you agree? I suppose what I'm meaning is that the speed that the plot moves at the moment is much more patient than... It's not not to do with Daenerys. It is more to do with just the writing in general. That, okay. Um, oh. In later seasons, it would definitely not take four episodes for her to get to Carth. But yeah, no, it's just very interesting to watch the show at this stage as someone who's you know been all the way through several times and look at how the show behaves so differently in its earlier days, even yeah, compared yeah. to just like even slightly later seasons. Um, and this is, I think, this is a great example of it. Um, I'm glad that we're at Carth now. Um, oh yeah, yeah, it's about and, time. Yes, and well, exactly, and it is a, a, I mean, we didn't see much of it, but it looks quite nice through those gates there. That that looked good. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really odd sight because you know from the outside you just see this enormous castle type thing, and around it just the vast wasteland of desert, and the doors just slowly open, and it's it's sort of like a paradise. There's a you know market and actual life and it's strange that it's I mean it still exists in the middle of a desert ultimately and mm. as as Jorah says you know if you don't get entry into there then you're a dead man yeah it's where the desert touches the sea yeah <laughs> and yeah. they've walled off the sea <laughs> I'm really looking forward to seeing more of this what's your name? Talissa your last name? I want to know what side my family fights on. You know my family name, you have me at disadvantage. That boy lost his foot on your orders. They killed my father. That boy did? The family he fights for. Do you think he's friends with King Joffrey? We'll go to, we'll, you know, we'll get back to Westeros now and we'll go to the Westerlands. So Rob defeats the Lannisters in another battle, this time in the middle of the night. Um, his bannerman, Roos Bolton, uh, so Roos of House Bolton, House Bolton are another northern house. Uh, they suggest flaying the, the prisoners, but Rob kind of rejects the idea. He's not that comfortable with it. Um, he instead encounters Talisa, a nurse uh, on the battlefield, and as much as she challenges why he's there and what the purpose of war is, he's very taken with her, and then when she reveals that she's from Volantis which is a city in Essos, he is even more fascinated by her. So 
I think there's a couple of very interesting conversations in this uh, Westerlands little... Not much... Uh, not many... I think there's only just the one big scene, but there's a lot of interesting dialogue here. I don't know about you. Yeah, yeah, there's some really interesting dialogue. Um, you know, this could have been just a throwaway theme, but... I, I know I did message you at the start of this. It's like, hey, it's Wolfie from The Inbetweeners. Yes. And you must be like, oh, you sweet summer child. You don't know what's coming to you. Well, uh, I had actually forgotten about that scene. Um, but for those who don't know, uh, The Inbetweeners was a UK sitcom around the late 2000s. And in one episode, there is a character known <laughs> as Wolfie. Not Wolf, Wolfie. And... Yeah. Uh, Wolfie, the actor who played Wolfie, appears in this episode as the Lannister soldier who is, I think he's called Rennick or something, but he gets killed uh, by Grey Wind, Rob Stark's direwolf. And it's not a nice end for him, but it's a nice cameo for that actor just to get a a little role in a big show. Um, Yeah, so we get Wolfie. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to focus on it too much because it is just what a, a minute long cameo but i do love these little british sitcom one-offs like um pip who was in peep show and we saw um tony wade the other week who was sedontis hollard he yes. was almost drowned to death but he was spared and his name the town drunk or what was it yes yes the uh, the jester who ends up being uh, well he ends up being named as joffrey's fool when sansa saves his life that's it the fool thank you in um in later seasons as well, you also get a cameo from Kevin Eldon. Oh my god! Um, he turns up in a later season, so you can look out for him. Oh um, god, I can't wait for that. <laughs> so yeah, it is a bit of a Game of Thrones is a bit of a who's who of uh, British actors who have turned up in things and then gone yeah. away again. Because yeah. obviously, most of the production was based in Britain. It was based in Northern Ireland. Uh, so not yeah, Britain, yeah. the UK. Um, but it means that quite a lot of the talent pool was British. Um, and it was quite funny because the actors on the show who weren't British, say um, Nikolai Costa-Wilder, who plays uh, Jamie, he's Danish. Mm. They were all kind of joking around that like, there were actually more actors there who weren't uh, who were British, and it was a bit weird to not be British. <laughs> um, and like, so they always used to joke with each other that they were kind of felt a bit alone because um, they were going to a strange place with lots of strange people and weird natives. But um, I've yeah, noticed they're... as well that they they skipped over another battle this week, uh, but they it's did. implied that Rob wins quite heavily. So yeah, that's another win for Rob. We do get, I've mentioned him just then, we are introduced to Roos Bolton. So a little bit yep. more background. Roos Bolton is the head of House Bolton. Their castle in the north is the Dreadfort, which is a, an amazing name for a castle. And mm. the Boltons have been around the north for a while. Their sigil is a flayed man, and that's what they do with their prisoners. They torture them for information by peeling their skin off. Um, but they are bannermen to the Starks, and so when Rob goes off to war, Roos Bolton takes his men with him. Um, we also, as I say, get another new character, which is Talisa. She's a nurse from Volantis. We hear more about her in future episodes, but that's all you really need to know about her at the moment, and she's got a good sense to challenge Rob Stark's ethics. Um, but I think that 
the conversation that she has with Robbie is, you know, totally valid. And I think that her point of view is one that I generally agree with. But I think Rob's responses mm. to it are very interesting because it goes into the heart and philosophy of the show so far. And I think something that carries through most of the show, which is that it's not just a simple anti-war text. It's more... It's anti-conflict rather than anti-war. And I think that some, sometimes the show and the books do argue that war is very costly, but sometimes a necessary evil because sometimes good people are forced into war and they have to defend themselves through violent means. And yeah. that's how Rob is justifying it to himself at the moment. And not just good people, it's overwhelmingly poor and disadvantaged people who end up having to fight for countries, or in this case families, who are pretty much content with keeping them in poverty, both before and after their service, if they survive. Yeah, that's the argument that Talisa makes, isn't it? That quite a lot of the men on the Lannister army don't know Joffrey. No. Joffrey doesn't know them. They don't nope. really care. They just kind of get pulled off the streets and put into a into a suit of armor. Yeah, they just get a, like she says, a spear shoved into the hand a few months ago, and that's it. You know, and if you if you happen to die, well, tough shit. You this is what you signed up for, even though you don't you don't even know who it is you're fighting for necessarily. It's just a name you know, but it's not somebody you have a personal connection with. Precisely, and I think that having these scenes is what makes the because we're just kind of talking about it like they're like regular people, and isn't that like mm. a testament to the fact that they're fictional and we're talking about them like they're real? And yeah, yeah but it's it echoes a real life situation. You so know, it's, so, yeah, it's the same with so many wars. Like if you you think of something like Iraq, it's when it is overwhelmingly underprivileged people who are being sent off to a war in a land thousands of miles away and just sent off to be forgotten. Well, this leads into a little bit of George R. R. Martin's history as um, just his personal history and how he came to write these books is that he was a conscientious objector for Vietnam. He refused the draft. Okay. Um, and he's always said that like he doesn't refer to himself as a pacifist, but he does refer to himself as anti-war and um, anti-conquest, I suppose you would say, as you would describe it. And a lot of his philosophy, even though this scene is entirely original um, to the show, like the t- Talisa, the character Talisa doesn't really exist in the books. Um, okay. She's an entirely new person that's been introduced to the show but her philosophy and the questions that her and rob ponder and the the conclusions that they don't reach really are very much plucked from the themes of the text that they are adapting into television Mm. and to take a totally new character and to invent a scene for yourself and still manage to carry it through i think it shows a lot of enthusiasm and understanding of the source text that is making this a good adaptation because I think a lot of people assume that because the books were good then the show will also be very good but you know for every Game of Thrones there's a golden compass and Percy Jackson 
and, and all these yeah. other failed adaptations that don't work <laughs> and because they don't carry the, the vital ingredients across. And as much as this is a very small scene, I think we established the kind of moral code that Rob's got here, which is that he won't go as far as flaying somebody because it feels pointless to him, but he will go as far as heading an army that disposes of and has thousands of poor people whose names he doesn't know. Yeah, and yeah, quite right. The sacrifices that he makes and the choices that he makes, and why is he going to war? Like, is he doing this to exact revenge? Is he doing it to rescue Sansa and Arya, who he believes are still together and still in King's Landing? As Arya obviously has disappeared and gone up north, but well, not gone up north, gone to Harrenhal. Then he's still the irony. The Ooh. ironic thing is that they're not that far away from each other right now, Rob and um, Arya. But obviously they'll. They, they they have no idea where either of no, them are. No, no. And yeah, it's it's kind of the ending of this scene is that she gets him to reveal that he doesn't really know what he wants other than killing Joffrey. And, you know, he doesn't mention it, but surely getting his sisters back would be a bonus. But yeah, it's like if if also if he wants to if he wants the North to gain independence, how does he expect to do that if there's nobody on the Iron Throne that would ever agree to it? No, precisely. And it kind of puts the question in his mind that maybe it will have to be him. And then that kind of defeats the purpose of what he was, you know, like maybe he would be in his head right now. He's maybe thinking, well, I have to be king of the Seven Kingdoms. And then will I have to name a warden of the north who is independent from the rest of the kingdoms or in order for it to yeah. be that way and you know and maybe i get the the glory of a free north but maybe i can't enjoy it and maybe i can't be there to experience it and yeah all sorts of questions come out of this scene um really 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 big fan of uh, this one what are you looking at neil neil or i'll carve your lungs out boy he'll do no such thing this one's a girl you idiot. Dressed as a boy. Why? Safer to travel, my lord. Smart. A little bit further, sort of southeast, uh, we go to Harrenhal, your favourite bit of the episode. Oh, God. Aya, Gendry, and Hot Pie all arrive at Harrenhal, where prisoners are tortured and killed by the mountain and his followers. And it is explained that I did mention last week that dragons burnt the castle down into the ruin that it currently is. Arya begins reciting the names of the people that she wants to exact revenge upon, and Gendry mm. is taken to be tortured by Lannister soldiers. But just then, Tywin Lannister arrives, rescues Gendry from being tortured, and puts him to work in the armory, and asks that Arya be his new cupbearer. So, other than this being the grimmest of the grim... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this, other than doing a fantastic job of making this seem like the worst place in the world. Um, yeah. How do you feel about the Harrenhal stuff this week? Well, where do you want me to start? It's it's horrible. <laughs> um, we do get our token, the dragons, the dead mention. So yeah, I was, as soon as you said that line, I thought about you. Yeah, it sounded like a little klaxon that I keep in my drawer. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's 
I mean, obviously, Tywin comes in at the end, so I don't know if there's anything you really want to cover before that. Well, the thing that I would want to mention is that it's a question to be answered at a later date, but twice in this episode, the Brotherhood get mentioned. Yeah, this... um, I did... Well, my only note on this is, like, what is the Brotherhood? Well, that's my question to you. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I could try and take a guess, but... Yeah, go ahead. But I feel like this would be something that we've inevitably not seen yet. I'm no, we haven't. Think, why would, you know, say the mountain, why would he have any, um, like, say in the matter? Um, the Brotherhood... The Brotherhood could be absolutely anything. I don't think I'm qualified to take a guess at the minute. Okay. I think that's, yeah, that's maybe best left as it is um, yeah. with regards to the Brotherhood. I did want to mention as well that this is the start of Aya's list. Yeah. So yeah. Aya's list of names that of people that she wants to exact revenge upon for all of the horrible things that have happened to her already. And it's amazing how many people have already wronged her. We've only been here for like 14 episodes and Aya's only been in like, I don't know, 10 of them or 11 of them or something. Yeah. And already we're at the stage where like <laughs> she's got like seven people who've already wronged her. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also a kind of very dark joke almost. I don't think it's intended that way, but there's a moment where um, she's sort of laid down and she's reciting, you know, Joffrey, Cersei, all that lot. And um, I think one of the uh, one of the women who was in the, the <laughs> cell with them, yeah. she asks for some food. Polliver strikes her down and just straight away she goes, Polliver, the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> Please, just a crust of bread. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it is yeah. a bit of a dark humour there that she just thought, oh yeah, him. I forgot about him. <laughs> it's like that, so you have that, this complete enough. bastard yeah. Polyver who's still got Needle. Oh, Polyver, fuck him. I was, I was going to say, I need to ask about the actual torture method because um, mm. how do we describe it? Like They, they have a sort of um, a wooden barrel and a rat. Yeah. And they start questioning them and slowly they start to torch the barrel yeah i'm not i'm not quite sure what happens from there oh well the rat would want to get away from the fire Mm. and it would want to get away by any means necessary ah so like burrowing through the stomach in other words it would yeah it would just bite somebody's chest through right Oh, God, that's horrible. <laughs> so that's the torture method of choice for the tickler. That's his name, the uh, the, the torture guy, known as the tickler. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we've got Aya starting a list, uh, uh, making a, uh, making, the show making a wonderful, wonderful job of making Harrenhal seem like the worst place in the world. And then Tywin yeah. Lannister turning up and calling everybody idiots and hiring Aya as his cupbearer. So, yeah. again, this is another entirely new thing. This is this is completely show exclusive. Tywin turning up at Harren Hall and hiring Aya as his cupbearer. That that's all show. Yeah. Um, so Tywin showing up and immediately seeing through the fact that Arya is in fact a girl. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, okay. Well, that 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 that's that facade gone. But we don't necessarily know if he is aware of 
the Stark that fled. No. Um, so, yeah, that could be interesting. Will you take a cup with me? I find that mulled wine helps me sleep. I am here at Her Grace's behest, not to drink with you, imp. If my sister was so concerned for Pycelle, I would have thought she'd come herself. Instead, she sends you. What am I to make of that? I don't care what you make of it, so long as you release your prisoner immediately. So after Rob's victory at Oxcross, word reaches Joffrey, who orders Sansa to be publicly beaten and humiliated in the throne room. Tyrion arrives to stop this awful display, and Bronn suggests that Joffrey's acting so brutishly because he is, quote, backed up. Tyrion buys the service of Roz and another sex worker, whom we met a couple of weeks ago with Pycelle, and awards them to Joffrey as a bit of a present, but Joffrey instead uses the opportunity to send a message back to Tyrion and orders Roz to beat her colleague until she's basically screaming and suffering. And elsewhere after that, Tyrion manages then to procure the spying services of Lancel Lannister by revealing his own knowledge of Lancel and Cersei's affair. So, I have to be honest, the King's Landing plot this week contains one of my five least favourite scenes in the show. Was it the scene with Joffrey, Roz and Davy? Yeah, Yeah. I I don't like it at all. I just think it's kind of pointless because we get the point that he's a sadist. We've just seen him doing it with Sansa. And yeah. Like, I get maybe what they were trying to go for, and it does lead... It, it does come about because of two of Bronn's best ever lines in the show, which is that um, there's the line about him being backed up and then there's the other one where it just says it's a classic one that everybody requotes, which is that there's no cure for being a cunt. It's a like, perfect line. Yeah. Yes, exactly. No, it's a wonderful <laughs> line and it's a philosophy that you can take into life. But um, yeah. I just think it's an excuse for a bit of like gratuitous brutality and sexual violence. Yeah, the, you don't need to really tell us, the audience, that Joffrey is a sadist. Like, we know that. We just, as you say, we saw it in the last scene with Sansa, who he's humiliating publicly for something she had nothing to do with. Hmm. Yeah. And Not great. Yeah, and, like, I get the argument that, like, you know, maybe everybody in the scene thought that it was, uh, you know, it had a point, and it does have a point, but it's a point that we've already seen. And it may be, I can kind of think that, like, with everything in mind, it perhaps hints a little bit towards something that happens in the future and that, like, you know, I, I can't really say what because or who it involves, but, like, you know, there's, like, there are elements of this scene that when the scene comes up in a future episode, I will mention that this is the one that I feel like inspires it or foreshadows it or, in you know, hints towards it or something like that. So... You know, with everything in mind, maybe, but I just think that we get the point with, like, if you could just stop at, like, the belt or, like, stop when he asks her to pick up, like, the scepter thing, like, the, the stick thing, just yeah. when he just when he asks her to pick it up, and then, yeah. We, like, yeah, okay, we get the point, it's very spiky, and mm-hmm. it looks like it hurt, and so we can just leave it there but it just feels like we watch the same thing over and over again and it's just not that entertaining it's kind of funny in a way because it's just like man this guy is just totally sick in the head 
Um, but it like it doesn't tell it doesn't tell us anything that we don't already know. No, it's not nothing new comes out of this scene really. No, no. And it's a shame because I think the rest of the stuff in King's Landing is, um, you know, is, is great this week. I think we get, um, um, again, more and more great lines from Tyrion and Bronn who swoop into that situation and do the whole... Um, uh, Bronn, next time Samirin threatens me or whatever, like, you know, the next time Samirin opens his mouth, uh, <laughs> please kill him. And he goes, that was a threat. See the difference? Yeah. And you get, um, oh, so good. now, now, wouldn't want to get blood all over your pretty white cloak. <laughs> which I think is not only a warning that Bronn could kill him, but also a little jibe about the fact that Merrin Trant is never in action and never does anything. Yeah, no. Well, look, well, all we've seen do is humiliate Sansa, so and kill Syria Varel in the Latin season one, but yeah, with like yeah. he had a wooden stick. Yeah, and so yeah, <laughs> not much of a king. I mean, that is his point that the Kingsguard don't really do anything. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. But what other notes have you got for King's Landing this week? Well, um, Sansa says to Tyrion, well, Tyrion asks, you know, do you want to be released from this engagement? And Sansa says, you know, I'm I'm committed to Joffrey. And I think us as the audience, you think, no, we've, surely you've got to come out. But you understand where Sansa is coming from because Tyrion is still Lannister. It's easy to forget that in this kind of drama that's going on between him and Joffrey, but yeah, mm. he is a Lannister, and if Joffrey was to catch wind of any attempt to get Sansa to safety, surely they would both be killed. It would benefit yeah. neither of them. That's two brilliant lines. I mean, that scene is, I'm just thinking about it, this scene is just full of amazing lines, and those two, especially where it's like, you know, something can be arranged if you want to get out of here. And Sansa says, you know, I'm beloved to my loyal to my beloved Joffrey. I love him, etc. And then yeah. Tyrion's brilliant line, Lady Stark, you may survive as yet. Yeah. Is, yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, that that's a line where it's just like, you can either take it two ways where it's like confirmation that she will definitely get to the end or it's confirmation that she definitely won't get to the end. <laughs> It depends yeah. whether you're a glass half full person or a glass half empty person, but it is such a beautiful line, um, and it shows how quickly Sansa's growing up already. Well, yeah, that's it, and I think she knows ultimately how to protect herself. Like she knows it would be a bad choice to say yes, please get me to safety because, you know, we've seen what happened to uh, Joffrey's bastards. It wouldn't work. She would just be hunted no. down. Yeah, there is no way out. <laughs> No, no. Do you have anything more about King's Landing? Well, we have to see with um, Lancel, don't we? Yes. What do you make of that? Oh, God. Poor Lancel. <laughs> he's, he's so useless. Ah, more of his uselessness to come as well. Yeah, I'm trying to see, like Tyrion says, oh, you hated every moment. Is that what you have me believe? A high place in court, a knighthood, and my sister's legs spread open for you at night. Oh, yes, it must have been terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, his, his grace would want to hear this. Like, for fuck's sake. Oh, oh dear. He's somehow even more useless than he was last season. I love him. Yeah. He's uh, kind of brilliant at being just brilliant relief, really, from... I forgot how funny the early seasons were, because <laughs> they do go for more comedy in the later seasons with certain yeah. characters. I think once they realise that certain characters are the funny ones... They start yeah. using them as the funny ones to pop in and out of certain scenes and do funny bits. And 
it's easy to forget that they have they have just as many characters doing funny bits earlier in the show. And well, in this one in particular, because I think it's such a dark episode, and there's those moments where someone makes a really dark joke and it just kind of pops out, especially because it is such a horrible episode. Otherwise, it kind of breaks the tension just a little bit. You should kneel before your brother. He's the Lord's chosen. Born amid salt and smoke. Born amid salt and smoke? Is he a ham? That's twice I've warned you. Listen to yourselves. If you were sons of mine, I would knock your heads together and lock you in a bedchamber until you remembered that you were brothers. We're going to finish off today in the Stormlands, where mm-hmm. Littlefinger arrives to meet with Renly and, under the guise of flattery, tries to learn his battle plans. He tries to trick Marjorie in a similar way, but Marjorie seems a little bit wiser to his ways than uh, Renly was. Littlefinger then meets with Catelyn and gives her a box with Ned Stark's bones in it. He lies to her and says that Sansa and Arya are ready to be traded for Jaime, when obviously we know Arya's on the road. Uh, he then tries to convince her that fate has presented them with a chance to be together, but she immediately rejects that proposition and orders him to leave. Renly and Stannis then parlay on a cliffside where it eventually transpires that Stannis will give Renly until the morning to stop the battle and surrender, but obviously Renly rejects these terms. Later that night, Stannis orders Davos to take Lady Melisandre ashore using his old smuggler ways, where she gives birth to a shadow demon that takes the form of a a human and then disappears into thin air. So that last sentence feels completely apart like it doesn't feel of a piece with the rest of the episode at all it doesn't feel of of a piece with the rest of the show no (laughs) so um we'll leave that till last um Mm want to talk to you about the little finger scenes with renly marjorie and catelyn what do you make of his meddling in this episode He's not very good at it. I used to think he was better in the last season, but I will say at least his voice seems to be back to some sort of normality. I noticed in the last <laughs> one he was in the last one, you know what I mean, don't you? He was a yeah, little bit yeah. like Tyrion, you stay out of my business and now he's just sort of Oh, that's what he used to sound like. Good. <laughs> good. We've returned to some sort of normality. Um I was gonna say the scene with um, Catelyn looking at the bones of Ned was quite it's quite beautiful really um, really okay. just harrowing actually because she's just sort of staring down with the chest open and she can hardly even bring herself to look and then she just eventually slams it down because it's just this reminder of everything that has been taken away from her by the, the fucking Lannisters and here's his little finger from from there just saying oh yeah here's the bones hope you can call it off see you now <laughs> I I love Michelle Fairley's kind of she withholds a lot of you can tell that she does this thing with Catelyn where Catelyn feels like a character who is permanently fierce always on the mm. edge of anger yeah, but she does such a good job of withholding it with this kind of like motherly, wifely. It's just she just seems so pleasant and protective all the time, but like she must be bursting inside and wanting to scream at people, but she's always just so polite. And then there's just that little moment where she lets it go a little bit when she's alone 
with Ned's bones, and when she slams the chest shut, and she doesn't sort of go, oh, like she's exasperated. She sort of shuts the chest, and then she's just a bit like, oh, because there's just so much frustration and anger yeah. that it was an entirely yeah. avoidable thing, and it's all come to such a horrible place, all coming from John. Can you believe that all this has come because um, John Aaron died in the first episode? <laughs> yep. Yeah, and she's looking back over all of that and wondering how the hell it's come to this point and how it's got to this position. And I feel like the last four episodes, at least, of grief and the previous six or seven episodes of anger and frustration at Ned having to leave have all kind of come out again in these scenes Mm. with Littlefinger where she's very very mad at him. (laughs) Oh yeah, and she's like he serves as a kind of reminder of everything that's happened in King's Landing. More than just, I think, the bones. Even it's like the bones being delivered by him. Him after saying that he'd protect them and you know he'd be on their side, given what we know. I think, in a way, as well, Catelyn knows that Littlefinger betrayed Ned. Yeah, because as much as he kind of defends himself in this scene I think that Catelyn doesn't really fall for it for a second I think she knows that she's trusted one of his lies once which is that um, it was Tyrion's dagger that well rather that Tyrion it was Tyrion's dagger but you know that she trusted his lie that Tyrion was the one who sent the cutthroat to get Bran Mm. in the first season and I don't think she wants to ever trust him again after everything that's happened I think she's put too much trust in him Mm. And Littlefinger then tries it on with Marjorie too, where he tries to get at her about her and Renly's marriage, and she is wise to everything that he's saying. Oh, she's she has great. the perfect straight bat for every question. Yep, as it should be. <laughs> what do you make of Marjorie? Now we've seen her in a scene that is not necessarily linked explicitly to Renly. She kind of stands on her own two feet. I love Marjorie. I think she's a great character. Terrific outfit. Very good. Yeah, the little... Um, it's like she's stuck in a the, tube. Yes, the shoulder <laughs> thing. <laughs> good old Natalie Dormer pulling anything off. Um, yeah. I think we should move ahead to Renly and Stannis parlaying on the cliffside. Um, mm. There's a great little line where... Um, <laughs> Melisandre says that Stannis was born of salt and smoke and Renly goes, is he a ham? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and God. Catelyn doing the typical thing where it's like, if you were two boys of mine, I'd be knocking your heads together, for God's sake. Get your, sort- get your shit sorted out. He started it. No, he started it. But, um... <laughs> but yeah, they, they do a really good job of like, portraying just the vast difference between these you know these two brothers and even at the end he says can you believe i loved him once <laughs> yeah we were once uh, once once friends we once got along yeah no it's a it's a fantastic scene and i love how like melisandra this is one of my favorite little bits of the episode for the wrong reasons but like melisandra's there fully decked out in red yeah. red hair yeah. red eyes red everything and then Renly goes, so, you must be the red woman. <laughs> <laughs> no. God, Renly, no. Of course it's not. Oh, God, it's fantastic. 
and like red banners, <laughs> red cloak, red hood, red hair, red everything. I think it's more that he knows that Stannis is this very serious guy and he knows that he can just, he can sort of prod him and wind him up and, you know, lead him to make a decision that he wouldn't necessarily make if he had a clear head. Yeah. yeah it's really clever. Him. Yeah. And there's another little line just before um, Davos takes Melisandre ashore that I find quite funny as well, which is the um, less and fewer thing. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Stannis is such a stickler for grammar. Yeah. Yeah, this is what I mean. Stannis is a very serious, stiff upper lip sort of guy. He's not somebody that... um, He's not somebody that takes these sort of things lightly, but he's also maybe a little bit too stiff. Which, it does make you wonder how he was taken in by someone like Melisandre. Power is a strange thing, and the Indeed. desire for power makes people makes people do stranger things. Indeed. Uh, speaking of strange things and stranger things, yep. um, Davos takes Melisandre ashore and into a cave, yep. and then he tries to get into the cave, but they've barred the cave and they've shut it, and he thinks, oh, God, oh, well. And then Melisandre's like, ah, no worries. I'm just going to take my clothes off. Oh, my God, I am... It, basically the size that someone is when they're nine months pregnant mm. and I'm going to give birth to a slimy shadow demon because of course why would you not do that I mean I don't know why I've not done it I don't know why you've not done it <laughs> I don't know why none of us have done it why, why have none of us done this it seems like such a wonderful idea to go into a cave and give birth to a shadow demon there's a lot of things you don't thing. know about me Rob uh, well, that's you true. Don't know about me. Um, yeah, we do live in a, a a town that has a hidden underground network of uh, pathways and un- under- underground caves and things Indeed. like that. We've got the air raid yeah. shelters. I don't know what you get up to giving birth <laughs> to in those air raid shelters that we have. But um, yeah, so this feels like the biggest leap yet into just full-on magic fantasy territory. Uh what do you make of this scene other than feeling nauseous dread? <laughs> yeah, in this scene, I am Davos. I think you pointed yes. it out on Twitter, yeah. just like sort of recoiling in horror, like, oh my God, what is going on? I think when I initially saw this, I thought maybe I'd missed something, like we'd skipped ahead nine months and, you know, this is happening now. But yeah, we're um, we're straight headfirst into magic and stuff yeah you don't miss nothing uh mm. we yeah basically do you remember a couple of episodes ago when stannis and melisandre slept with each other on the painted table oh yeah yeah this is the result of that but like what is the time between that oh like i don't know three weeks something like that Fucking um, hell. <laughs> yeah this is this is blood magic and red magic and fire magic and magic magic for you um I only really have one other question about the shadow demon, which is just, what do you think its purpose is? What do you think it's going to do? Like, why do you think Melisandre's seen fit to give birth to this thing? Well, I did wonder if she was maybe like a vessel for Satan. Okay. That Like, the Lord of Light is very vague, but I'm thinking, you know, all the insinuations of fire and blood and red and... Uh, yeah, it feels very satanic but i'm sure it's not that because i I feel like that would be a bit obvious so yeah it but it's the only thing that kind of came to mind when 
you know, she gave birth after, what did you say, three weeks? It, it's probably about three weeks. I am only guessing, but it's uh, not long anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so in, the short answer is something satanic, but I don't know. Okay. Yeah. All right, then. I think that's a really good place to leave this episode. Um, waiting to see what a shadow demon baby does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, so just to let everybody know before we do Lizzie's loser and winner of the week uh, after next week's episode the first part of our interview with Sam from Crywolf podcast will be going live that's going to be on February the 9th Uh, we spoke for a long time just before New Year so a lot of the lines in the interview will reference this year but this year will mean 2020 we recorded the interview just after Christmas just before New Year so you have that to look forward to on February the 9th. That will be after next week's episode. So, Lizzie, I am going to ask you for your loser this week. Who's your loser? It feels boring to say it now, but yeah, it's Joffrey. I wanted to... Okay. I, I was I was actually sort of thinking maybe I should nominate someone different for a change, but it's Joffrey because not only is he, well, a horrible little sadist prick, but he also had the worst scene in the episode. So, you know, okay, it's yeah. so. Easy pick for villains there. Indeed. Um, and your winner, who's your favourite this week? It's Tyrion. Yeah. I, I love the, um, you know, the scene where he rescues Sansa and also the scene where he cuts Lancel down. Yeah, it's a, it's a good week for Tyrion. I feel like we're going to see a lot of that being the winner and loser this season. Oh boy. <laughs> Tyrion being the winner and Joffrey being the loser. I feel like uh, everything's kind yeah. of set in stone there. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. You could surprise us yet. Um, so, yeah, no, exactly. So, next week we've got season two, episode five, which is entitled The Ghost of Harrenhal. The music that's playing us out is, again, it's off Weezer's new album, OK Human. You don't have to buy it, but you can stream it, which, you know, you won't own it, but you'll still get to hear it. And it's brand new. And it's great. And yeah, we'll just see you next time. <laughs>